Chip Institute group. You guys have been super great today and welcome to our FACET members who have joined us. Give yourselves a round of applause for being here. Wanted to give a special, special welcome to our student group, our student panel, um, who have come from all different campuses who are gonna join us here in just a few minutes. And thank you guys for coming. Understand we're in for a treat. So I'm very excited to have you here and to hear from you. Um, I love to hear student voices. So welcome students. Thank you for joining us here today. What we're talking about um, today, I just wanna give everybody kind of a sense of what what we're doing at the Leadership Institute and what the student panel will be talking a little bit about. We're, we're addressing um, the main theme of social justice in higher education. And a couple of things that, um, that we talked about this morning as we introduced this is that we try hard to make things equitable. We try hard to make our classes equitable, to give equitable education, to make sure that everyone in our classroom gets the education the same way. And yet, time after time, we find out, and as we do our research, that, that the students of color have a different outcome than our white students do. There, there are years and years of historical and institutional barriers that have been put in place that affect these outcomes, first generation versus second generation. And Michael had some stats uh, of JD students all the way up to partners in law firms that show that the outcomes just don't happen on an equitable, in an equitable playing field. It just doesn't happen. We're here in 2021 and going on 2022, and it's just not there. There are fam family barriers. There are socioeconomic barriers. There's all kinds of things that change that, that are, are different for students of color, first-generation students, students that come from poverty backgrounds, all, all first-gen first college students, students that have marginalized students, students that are mothers, single mothers, single fathers, students that have come back from the military and are facing, facing uh, difficulty readjusting back into society. All of these things affect the students differently. All our students coming back from COVID. One of, uh, one of my adjunct professors contacted me and said he broke down and started crying in front of me. I didn't know what to do. And I said, you call Dr. Day immediately and get him into counseling. Okay, <laughs> immediately. Let's get this kid some help. So we're looking at, at, at justice and, and social justice in higher education and how we can do things better for our students. We know these barriers are there, but for us, we don't see them. We don't have to scale them. I can walk right through it. These kids have to stop, find a way around it, dig underneath it, or they have to climb over it. And I don't even see it happen. That's not fair. And yet, when they try to tell us it's there, I turn around and go, I don't know what you're talking about. I just walked through it, it wasn't there, right? Because I've walked through that a hundred times, I didn't feel a barrier. So I need to listen because my eyes didn't see it and I didn't feel it, doesn't mean it's not freaking there, right? That's what we're trying to address today. But as long as I don't see it, as long as I don't hear, it, I can't change it because I can never walk in their shoes, never, but I can listen. And that's what we want to do today. And so Christina Dowie is going to, is, did I say this right? Is it Dowie? And I believe she is the Assistant Vice Chancellor of Student Affairs. Okay, there we go. Every time I screw that up with someone who's higher up than me, I get really nervous. My name is Elisa Lambert, and uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I always do that to Elisa. She's wonderful. Um, so she's going to introduce these students, these wonderful students who are brave and who have come today to really, hopefully, make us squirm a little bit in our chairs. I've asked them to make us uncomfortable and to call us out and to make us squirm a lot in our chairs today, to get our attention and to make us listen to what they have to say. 
because unless we hear it and until we hear it, we're not going to we're not going to be agents for change. We're not going to be able to help them the way we need to. And so with that, I'm going to I'm going to let Chris, Christina take over and introduce our panel of students. Thank you. I'm <laughs> Thank you. As they come up, um, my preference is to let them each introduce themselves because they have names that they prefer that you use and this kind of thing. But I'm Christina Downey. I work at IU Kokomo as Associate Vice Chancellor for Academic Affairs and Student Success. And I'm very, very honored um, to be able to facilitate this panel. Uh, my goal, once we get started, is to speak as little as possible because it's the voices of the students that need to be elevated here. But I wanted to tell you just a little bit of a story before we kick off that I was reminded of um, during the introduction. So um, the, the recent uh, fervor at school board meetings um, about critical race theory, right, about social emotional learning, these kinds of things, because um, I, I live in Hamilton County, um, and so there have been a number of contentious meetings in that area, um, people coming forward with um, basically false information and, and uh, unfounded fears about what it is that people are doing, uh, teachers are doing in public schools. And so I wanted to see this for myself. Um, and so in the summer, I went to my local school board meeting. They were having um, an open forum where they were going to allow people to come and ask questions, et cetera. And the outside, you know, were people with their signs um, and their little pamphlets and anti-SEL, social emotional learning and this kind of thing. And I, I sidled up and I okay, well, what are you here for? What are you, what are you talking about? What are you worried about? And so they started to try to explain to me how CRT is being pushed in the schools and that parents should have um, purview over what's being taught and they're trying to divide us and trying to indoctrinate our children and this kind of thing. So I listened to this for a while and then I said, okay, well, I'm a social scientist, I'm a psychologist, and when you look at the data um, about people's outcomes, I said, I understand that you... I, it sounds like you are interested in equality and equity of opportunity, but you're worried about equity outcomes, right? That's what you're, you're worried about. Well, will you look at just about any health-related or um, educational, um, uh, you know, kind of social, uh, social economic um, outcome, there are these consistent differences across race, right? Uh, the, when you see black and brown people at the bottom of the scale, every single study on every single aspect of well-being in this country and you consistently see white and Asian people at the top. I said, how do you explain that, right? So these are my friends and neighbors, right? How do you, how do you explain this difference? And the first lady said to me, well, she said, well, so back in my day, you know, people really valued the family. Um, it was the nuclear family and it was stable marriages and it was, it was you know, people raising up their kids um, so that they would be better people and keep themselves out of trouble. And I said, so are you telling me that black and Latino parents don't love their kids as much as white people love their kids? And the lady goes, uh, no, 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 that, that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. And I said, that's kind of what you said. And then another lady next to her pops up. She said, well, well, um, I, I was raised to, you know, really take care of myself, to work hard to take jobs seriously, to take education seriously. And so, you know, I, I think that it's kind of um, about a work ethic and really taking, you know, the things seriously. I said, are you telling me that black and brown people are lazy? I said, that's kind of racist. And she's like, no, 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 no. That's, that has nothing to do with racism, right? My point here is, I think it's much easier for people to think about opportunity than it is to take outcomes seriously. And I think that's what our students are gonna help us to understand, that it takes both. And so when I was talking with them before we kicked off this panel, I said, what is going to make this worth your while? You've come from all over the state to come talk with people. And, and first it was, we really want a chance to express our experience, and we really appreciate having an audience with people who can make a difference. But ultimately, what everybody came around to, we want change. We want action, right? We are good. I put you, myself in the we. We are good at talking. We are really good at conversation. We have it all the time. We get paid to talk, right? But what are we doing? What changes are we making? And so that's what I hope that 
the panel will enlighten us on as we kick off. So I'm just going to start to my immediate left and let each of the students uh, introduce themselves and then we'll go into some questions. Oh, yeah. can you hear me? Okay, well, hello everyone. My name is Kai Freeman. My pronouns are he, him, his. I serve as the student body president of Indiana University of Family. Good morning slash afternoon. My name is Ariana Cousins. I prefer to go by Ari. Um, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm the Black Student Union president at IU Bloomington. <laughs> Thank you. I guess I had to pick a mic. Um, hello, my name is Rena Hamad. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I am the student body president at IU South Bend. Not sure if we're allowed to take our mat. Okay. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Garrett Wolf. I go to IU Northwest, and I'm sitting uh, as the student body uh, president there as well. Hello, everybody. My name is Manuel, uh, or you guys can call me Manny for short. Uh, I'm representing uh, IU East, and I am part of the SGA in IU East. Okay, so we've got student leaders from, and, and they're taking their role as student leaders very seriously. They each mentioned how they're representing the voices of many when they speak to us, so thank you. Um, the first question that we put in front of you, according to higher education nonprofit Achieving the Dream, equity refers to institutions ensuring that each student receives what they need to be successful through the intentional design of the college experience. As far as you can tell, is equity a goal of your campus? And what do you base that opinion on? And I'll just let you step forward and take turns as you wish. Okay. Hi, I'm back. Um, so I think what is particularly interesting is that, again, I serve as the student body president. So I'm supposed to be the vessel in the voice of 45,000 students that sit on our campus. And when looking at this conversation, typically it's framed in this diversity, equity, and inclusion. And everybody gets the diversity part, but the actual equity and inclusion is where everybody falls off of, because equity is based on fairness in the experience that people are having. So when looking at these types of things from, from what I hear from my constituents when they're going into classes or coming back to classes, is that when you're looking at how syllabuses work, you know, that's direct control that faculty have over the way that their classroom structures work. And looking at it in a sense of evaluating how power works through those dynamics as well, is that are we creating educational models that are the most inclusive material-wise? Are we looking at a wide breadth of how students actually receive information? Because more often than not, when we look at these things, the way that we actually give out information to students isn't the most equitable or inclusive. Because it's PowerPoint, lecture, sit, go. That's literally the entire model that I can say there. But for students who have more of an action type of learning style, is it accommodated the best? Do students feel comfortable in these spaces? Is the language that's being utilized accessible to students from various demographics and backgrounds? And that's just looking at the classroom structure from the, the classes that I go to, that I'm always the student like, well, I don't know if this is actually the most successful in this sense, or what about if we did have an international student sitting in here where English might not be their first language? Did you consider this when you set this in this material that's here? And it's always being there to say that there are so many ways of opening up this conversation and also kind of tearing away this dynamic of teacher-student. There's power there. But how can we both be active learners in this experience that it is that we're actually talking about with the educational material that's there? Okay. Go ahead. Can anyone just jump in, or are yeah, we going? Please, okay. Um, I'm also gonna just take my mask. Before I want to, before I start to, I just want to thank all of you also for being here, and thank Christina and all the organizers for putting on this event and including us in this. I think it's really important and uh, means a lot that, to hear that you're willing to listen and engage to us as far as the conversation around equitability goes. And um, I hope today, you know, things that we say, I was told to be candid, so we're gonna be candid and truthful. And I hope that nothing offends you; rather, you take it as constructive criticism or feedback. Um, you know that you can take those back to your class rooms or departments.
departments and, and implement the things maybe that we're talking about. Um, as far as my campus goes and equitability, um, okay, I think the <laughs> mic just turned on. <laughs> uh, as far as my campus goes and equitability, I can say that I think uh, equitability is definitely a goal. Uh, I can say with certainty that equitability is a goal that the campus has because we're part of this, we're doing the strategic planning process right now and I can tell you it sure is written down on a piece of paper uh, and it's yeah. put on our website uh, to, as, a, as yeah. a great way to, to say, you know, we're an equitable campus, an institution. But I can say there are actions that certain professors um, take uh, and departments take uh, that, that doesn't necessarily reflect that. And I want to tell you a story um, that I witnessed firsthand because uh, I tell this story to a lot of people on my campus and I just think it's important for you to get some perspective. I go to school in the most diverse region of the state of Indiana, Northwest Indiana. We are a Hispanic serving institute, minority serving institute, um, which means we have over 25% Hispanic Latino students on our campus and we're very proud of that designation. Um, and we also are one of the most diverse campuses in the IU system. Um, but there are still issues with racism uh, and bigotry uh, and, and discrimination on our campus. And I can tell you that because um, when I was a sophomore in my spring semester before the COVID pandemic hit, we were all in classrooms. I had a friend, uh, she was African-American, a young woman, um, and she and I were really close friends. We sat next to each other in one of my uh, uh, classes, uh, political science classes. Uh, she would wear her hair in a natural African-American hairstyle um, all the time to class, every day. Um, and the professor, um, probably I would say a month and a half into the class, started to criticize her for it, asking her questions like, why don't you brush your hair? Why don't you take care of your hair? Uh, why don't you straighten your hair? And to me, that's just, it's, it's just so disturbing to hear. And frankly, I'm ashamed of myself for not sit standing up and saying something. But at the end of the day, that goes into the policies of, you know, the departments and the, the, the campus and, and that particular professor. Uh, I'm fortunate to say that that professor is no longer with our campus, but that just shows to goes to tell you, even when we're having these conversations, things like that are still happening on our campus. Uh, you know, we, we're having these conversations year after year, and I, I think it's important to recognize that there are still institutions, there are still uh, instances of racism happening on our campus. So clearly things that we are doing are not working. Um, and I just encourage all of you to take a hard look uh, at yourselves and make sure that uh, what you're putting forth in, in your syllabi, your uh, your courses, uh, whatever it is that you have control over uh, is as inclusive as possible because there are times when this is slipping through the cracks. I know my friend, she reported it. Um, I was a part of the process of, of providing uh, a second opinion and, and you know, uh, I spoke to our um, uh, diversity uh, office on campus and nothing really came out of that. And it's really sad to, you know, uh, to, to have to say that, but I also want to relay that to you so you know that things like this are happening, that continue to happen on our campus, even at the most diverse campus in the IU system. Um, I can go next. So, like I said, I'm the Black Student Union President at IU Bloomington. Can everyone hear me? Because I can't hear myself. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Can you hear me now? Oh, yeah, I can hear myself. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Well, I said my name's Ari. I am the president of Black Student Union on campus. So my role is a bit different than everyone um, else's on this panel. I serve a certain community instead of the entire community. So I see a lot of um, African-American Black issues holistically instead of everyone's issues, I guess. Um, and so in terms of being equitable, I think it's very hard to call yourself diverse and equitable in terms of when we're looking at numbers of the populations on these campuses. So at one point, and still maybe to this day, Kai can correct me, there are less than 10% or 10% of campus is not made up of black students. So in terms, I think I said that backwards, but I think you get what I'm putting down. You see what I'm saying? Um, so we make up less than 10% of the campus is what I was going for. Um, so in terms of just being equitable, um, I don't know if that's possible when majority of the campus looks a certain way and there's a small marginalized group. There are other um, underrepresented groups who are less than 5% of the campus. So in terms of you know being in a classroom or even being in a setting like this and it's just kind of being myself that looks the way that I do, it's like how do I navigate a space in a classroom 
Um, and that's an institutional kind of thing in terms of like accepting and numbers and calling yourself diverse when you really aren't diverse. Um, so that's just something that in terms of being equitable, and yes, we put it in our mission statements and we write it on the website, but what does our campus look like? What does our classrooms look like? What do the people walking around every day look like? Um, it gets very uncomfortable, I can say for myself and many other students, especially freshmen, kind of walking in and being like, okay, well, it's me, let's do this. Um, and also just in terms of like navigating your professor, how do they connect with you when they don't understand your experience? I think it's very hard to be equitable when you're not communicating with people that look differently than you. So you don't necessarily know their experience or the things that they're going through. So I think it's very important to kind of have an open dialogue and not be afraid of those conversations. I think a lot of people tiptoe around the conversation of just diversity, racism, um, and just all those kind of things. But it's very important to have because if we don't have these conversations, then we don't know how to fix them. So, yeah. And I, I also want to really put to perspective that really where we've come from in this entire conversation here, even looking at our institution, IU was founded and established in 1820. Does anyone know when slaves were emancipated? In 1865. So the fundamental foundation of the institution was not created to cultivate diversity as opposed to over time it adjusted to meet those needs. Now why it adjusted if we're looking at critical race theory, the convergence theory, it's because when black and white interests align, that's when we start to see substantive movement when it comes to civil rights. But when we're still looking here as a society, we've actually been more segregated than we actually have been intermixed within each other. And this conversation has moved from equality to equity. Now in understanding how that plays out at our institution, I think we have to understand where we have been historically in that conversation to really figure out where it is that we've really made grand strides in these movements here. Because we just had 2020, which was a year of racial reckoning. Where we looked at, you know, looking at how the pandemic disproportionately affected black and brown communities, but also we had this other pandemic going on when it came to racialized things that are happening in our country. And how do we actually have a very bold conversation about these things? And for some of us, it was uncomfortable because it caused us to dissect our identities going into these spaces. And for so long, some of us have not done this. So the expectation for sometimes where it comes to Students, we expect students to understand these types of things. And we also expect faculty to understand these types of things. But while you can absolutely have a PhD in a content area, the actual discovery of self is what the foundation, I think, of diversity, equity, and inclusion work is. Because to understand the level of disadvantages that might come to your marginalized identities, but also the level of privilege there, informs how you go about engaging with students in your classroom or the understanding that comes there. And I think that you know one thing I say with us in our administration that we've always had in the student government is we lead with radical love. Now somebody told me that was an oxymoron, but hey, who cares? But then looking at it in the sense of that you have to make sure that you're operating these things, especially off of 2020, with the transformative mindset of how we're going to make this experience drastically different than what it's looked like before 2020. Because after 2020, everybody should be adjusting every single thing that it is that they're doing. Because if you're sticking to the same way, you're sticking to that broken normal that literally they allowed us to see or the depths of that within 2020. So equity is still a conversation that all of us might not fully understand. We'll put it on a website, but we might not understand the depths of that. But we have to get to a place of truly working on this conversation collectively together with students together in mind because we have these things to where they're so separate. We expect the students to get it and we also expect the faculty, but the marrying of these two groups don't happen as much as they absolutely need to because the students are gonna tell you what they need. You just have to talk to them. And I think there's a lot of apprehension for that. Okay, I'm gonna take my mask off and hopefully you guys can all hear me, but yes, exactly what Kai is saying, you know, we have, we put it on a poster, we put it on in our mission statements, we, but we haven't really asked the students. We haven't come to them. We haven't sat down and been inclusive. We like to say, we, we really do mention diversity, but we forget the equitability and the inclusive of that. And, that's, and it's, it's revolving around so much. We have 
you know, veteran students, we have disability services, we have the QSA, we have the LSU, we have the BSU, we have all of these groups that all you need to do is just listen and hear what they have to say and really make action and put them in the syllabuses and not make it that little tiny section at the bottom of your syllabus that says, you know, disability support, support services, this is what you do for religious observations, and it's just kind of thrown on there. And I mean, most of my professors just say, you know, oh, that little section at the bottom, make sure you read that. And there's not really a conversation about it. And it's and it's not a, um, let's have an, an open and honest conversation to make sure that you're comfortable coming to me and bringing those to me. Because more often than not, a student can have those things, but they're terrified to bring it forward. Um, and there's just so much that we could do, and a lot of it has to do with, you know, marrying the two. Like you said, marrying the, the faculty and the students and asking for the opinions. And, you know, like you said, with 2020, you know, um, I've been fortunate enough to be a part of SEFA, which is social emotional first aid training on my campus. And it has been absolutely amazing and reformational. And I wish that, you know, hopefully at some point, everybody, all students and all faculty can, can participate in this. But they said that was an alarm. It was an alarm. It wasn't, it wasn't that the issue was never there. It wasn't that um, it just was a new thing. It was like your car alarm. It was a, like a check engine light is what they said. Um, and that we have to get to the root of that problem. We have to have that open and honest conversation. And we have to see how to fix the issue rather than just saying, oh, that's really uncomfortable. Like, that's really sad that that's happening. But let's actually find a solution. Because we can say that we're actively have, like, that's a goal of ours and that we want to make it a better issue. But we're not finding a solution. We're kind of passively talking about it. Hello, everybody. Um, as I said, my name is Nay, and uh, if you guys can hear my accent, I am an international student. And um, thank you for mentioning um, about, thank you for talking about international students, because there are things that are not explicit for international students. <clears throat> for us, we're traveling. I am from Venezuela. If you guys know anything about Venezuela, it's not a really good place to live in right now. And just moving from home thousands of miles away just to educate yourself, just to look for a better future, it is hard. It is hard. Like, I'm not going to lie to you, to, to, every, to anybody. It is hard. Uh, there is a lot of loneliness. There is a lot of, you know, language barriers. And uh, it is difficult. And not too many, I think I have only met one professor that has approached me and said, hey, is everything okay? Um, would you like, hey, in Venezuela, we don't have winter. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, only one professor approached me and said, do you have a coat? I have never seen snow before in my life. Do you have a coat? I didn't know it was going to be that cold, you know. I, oh yeah, it's ice, but I didn't know it was. I was going to be freezing every day. Um, so it's more about communication and approaching to your students, just being human. We all. <clears throat> I grew up in a country where it sounds crazy, but racism doesn't exist. The first time I experienced racism against me was when I got here, when. I came here with a tennis scholarship. I played tennis. I was the tennis captain of Adivis. And um, I worked very hard for, for that, right? And uh, <clears throat> people over here don't really see it, don't really see that you're living at home, you're living thousands of miles away from home, and you're working very hard for what you got. They don't really see, they believe that you got everything because they want to have a Latino or a Hispanic guy on the team. People believe that, but we're all humans. We all work towards what we really want in our lives, right? And professors and faculty, they are the people that are educating us and making us better professionals, and, and you know, but like they, they are the people who are making us the people who are standing over here, you know? I know that all of, uh, everybody over here is very, like, everybody is, like, very educated. And it's, if you guys communicate to us, 
that's all we that, that that's all we need. That's that's all we need. We don't we just really need communication and just being human, just having a a warm heart and just talking to us. Just hey, are you okay? Is everything okay? Why your grades are slowing down? Hey, why what like you you've been doing so well in physics. Why did you do so bad on the last exam? You know, it's more about communicating and being proactive instead of just being there. I hope that was a little clear. Yeah. There's this for this group, and this for this group, and this part of the syllabus for these people, and this kind of, um, that's for them. And what was striking me as you were speaking was the sense of enormous missed opportunity, because we can see around us in our community how everyone needs to think about this. And if we're not, you know, raising up that portion of the syllabus about disability services, if we're not raising up this, you know, knowledge about these different resources and opening that conversation courageously, we're, we're depriving everyone in that room, right? Now, most of my classes, most of my students are white, right? But they need that conversation every bit as, if not more than, <laughs> because this is your daily life and it's not theirs, right? And so that kind of missed opportunity just kind of stands out to me. And I wonder if any of you feel that way, like when you're in the classroom, you're like, I'm right here, we're right here. We could be talking about things that mean something, and we're not. I think what I would say to that one is that typically and most of the times when you're starting off the semester with your um, your teachers and things like that that you're having in the classroom, it's the first day is always very particularly interesting for how I figure out how I'm going to engage with professors. And just as well as you're building a relationship to trust me, I'm building a relationship to trust you. But always, 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 while it is a institution where we come to be educated to get our degrees, the prioritization of the conversation that's had is on the academic misconduct policy, the content of the course, where we all know that we're coming to do that. But the rest of it is, well, you can read the rest of the resources for disability, this, that, and the third, and all of these things. How about if you think about flipping those types of things? How about you talk extensively why something like this is there? Why do you have this for bias that's happening? What is bias for students? Because the biggest thing is, is that you have the most face time with students and sometimes are the most disconnected from them at the same time. And I think flipping in how you look at these in, or how you go about evaluating your classroom or the presentation of material there, even at the beginning of the semester, sets the tone for students on how they're going to engage with you. Because if you let me know right off the bat that this is how you go about reporting bias and this is why it's important to do so, that's something drastically different than me learning Okay, well, the first week we're going to talk about Macbeth. I love Macbeth, but I would love to know how to report these other things because the resources might not be communicated in any other sphere that's there. And it's the assumption that because the resource is around everywhere, that people are just going to know about it. But when I'm looking at things on the campus-wide issue here, for students, and especially even for faculty that it comes down to, the conversation of equity and inclusion is not one that's being had. No matter how many spaces, no matter how many resources that are being there, you all serve as a true change agent and actually putting it to the forefront of their minds with the classes that they are. But what it becomes is that I believe a lot of the time that faculty members are more afraid of getting it wrong than they are of actually trying to do something. And that's where the issue comes into it. Because in this conversation of being a committing to diversity, equity, and inclusion work, it's acknowledging that you're going to be an active learner. So again, you have to flip this whole mindset of saying, oh, okay, I got my PhD, I learned something. No, you're gonna consistently keep learning because these social identities are developing every single day. There's something to gain from every conversation that you have with someone that's there. You have to commit to the process as opposed to the end result because that's what's gonna help you build these relationships with students and really make sure that you're seeing them as students. I have the opportunity of sitting on what we have at our school, the Bloomington Faculty Council, and I, probably other schools have the same thing there. 
and we were having a robust conversation, talking about my friend over here, um, a robust conversation about reforms in the academic misconduct policy. And I was astounded sitting here listening to this conversation of sometimes, and it, it seemed as if faculty viewed students as criminals in some of the instances for making a mistake. And I completely understand, and I don't want to dilute the fact that students should not be shooting, no. But at our institution, we have the ability to really help students along the way of figuring out what's right and wrong. How do you get there? How do we be rehabilitative in all of the processes that happen here because these are still people? And I think that's lost in a lot of academia because it's so much priority on the actual content and all of these things. But the most valuable skill that you can teach a student is relationship building. Because that's what's going to take them far in all of these conversations. That's what's going to get them that next opportunity. And then how do you use this content to further that relationship? That is what it is that we're really trying to get more to, is looking at this in a more human perspective and a more human approach to all of these things here. We're all learners. Yes, you have education and doctorates and EDs and MDDs and a lot of other DDs <laughs> and things. But you have those opportunities to truly connect with the student, and even if you might not share that same experience. I just implore you to try. Yeah, touching on um, what Kai and Emmanuel both said, one of the greatest things that we can do as humans is be compassionate to one another and to understand that people have different life circumstances and just different things that are happening that we, we, we don't know. We'll never be able to step in each other's shoes. We'll never be able to do that. And one of the greatest things that I've ever had done for me as a, from a professor was that at the beginning of the semester, they handed me a sheet of paper that said, what are you taking right now? Um, is there anything that you want to let me know about? Like, are you a dependent? Are you, do you have dependents? Um, is there anything going on in your life that we should know about? Because at the end of the day, like, if you can't finish that assignment because you're at home taking care of a newborn, that's understandable. And we have to remember that compassion and knowing that it's a human to human interaction and that sometimes academia might not be their top priority in that moment, even though they really wish it could be, is so important to just make sure that we're there for each other. And, you know, talking to each other. That's all it took was one professor coming up to you and saying, are you okay? And that is like the easiest thing to ask somebody is, are you okay? Because I know myself, like as a freshman, I had some issues with racial things happen to me during my finals week. And I went and I failed like all of my finals. Yeah, sorry, I'm not gonna cry. But one professor asked me, are you okay? And he let me retake the finals. And that was the only class that I didn't like fail that final. And so it was really nice to just have a professor be willing to ask, are you okay? Because they knew I was a straight A student. I was doing perfectly fine and everything. And then I went and I did bad on the final. So. But yeah, it was just asking. It was just being compassionate, understanding. And that's all it really takes. Yeah, I kind of want to speak a little bit about what Erwin kind of talked about. Um, in terms of being a student leader, and I won't speak for you all, but I think that in some way you can agree. It's very taxing. Um, people think that you have the answer to everything. I am a senior. <laughs> I am trying to graduate and go far away. <laughs> and I am tired. I was telling Kyrie, I'm like, I am so exhausted. Like, in terms of exhausted, just classes, I'm exhausted that I have to continuously come out and have the same discussion. Well, I'm very grateful that you guys want to learn. But imagine someone asking you about your life story 20 times a day. I'm like, I didn't really sign up to get into my entire life. Also, just because I serve as a black student union president does not mean I know all of what the black students need. I didn't know that I was signing up. I knew I was advocating for them, but I didn't know I was signing up to tell you that everyone needed in this population. In terms of like compassion and you know educating yourself, I wish that sometimes when people reach out, especially during the pandemic, um, the Black Lives Matter movement on a rise. Reach out and say, hey, I was doing some research. I thought maybe we could do X, Y, and Z, or I could do X, Y, and Z for you all, or I could help you with this portion of this, instead of saying, hey, what can I do? Because now I have to provide you all the information about what you can do, which then means I've done months of legwork for you. On top of being a senior and in school. And then, as a professor, they don't want to hear that because you're a student first, remember? Their student first, their classes come first. I'm like, do you know me? <laughs> and ask me about X, Y, and Z. So it's very hard to balance. So 
even her speaking about her story, there's been plenty of times where I'm like, do this assignment, do some research for my student organization. Go to this meeting, skip class. Come today, miss physics. But I have a test coming up. And so it gets really taxing. And so in terms of like educating yourself, this is kind of the things that we need of like go out, help me out so I can help you out. Um, and I just think that it gets really like emotional and hard of like having to dive deep into the same stories all the time. But yeah. I think it's it's particularly interesting though too in this conversation that you're having because most of the, I say, most of the student leaders that come to our campus, they do some pretty amazing things. But we're the students that the university takes a chance on. In the sense of, when I came to IU, I had a conditional acceptance of getting into the Greek Scholars Program. Never did they imagine I chartered to be the first openly gay black student body president that they had. But I did it. But I was the risk. And those are those different things that we're all navigating in every single space that we go into. And it is difficult, very much so, because the hard part of it is, is that students don't see the value in the education that they're, see that they're getting because they don't see it in application to their everyday lives. So I find more value in the work that I did as the Black Student Union president, as the student body president, because I'm applying so many different things there. And it's not to say that the educational material that's being provided isn't worthwhile and necessary, but it's saying that how do we find a way to meet our students where they are and work from there to make sure that they can equip these tools in every single way that it is. And then I think genuinely ask the question, and which in turn I believe the question should be asked back to you all as well sometimes, how are you doing? And genuinely, how are you doing? Because I think for 2020, when we went through all of that, I was waiting, dying for someone to just ask me how I feel. But it's that notion of you have to be efficient. You have to keep on going. You have to get through the classes. You have to be the student leader. You have to do this. You have to do that. And it is taxing. It's a lot that goes on for a lot of different students in those classes because they could be your C student, but they could be exceptional in regards to community organizing. But it's that we have to understand what the holistic student does look like and also then understand everybody brings something differently. I was the risk, and that's what I consistently tell people. I was the conditional acceptance. No matter how much I had, no much how much I was willing to contribute there. And I've chartered to places no other student has. Just like some of the other students here sitting on this panel, you would have never expected that off of just looking at the conversation that's centered around what are the type of opportunities that are provided to the various communities that we all come from. And that's something to keep in mind as a different perspective. Helping, helping them along, and how do we thread that, right? Like, what are their experiences? What are the conversations that they're having? What are the courses that they're searching that are going to have, that are clearly supporting their success, right? And, and how do we grow that? I wanted to give Garrett maybe one more chance to, to speak to any of this um, before we move forward. Um, yeah, I just wanted to go back to a point that Kai made earlier that I thought was incredibly important, and that's. Um, on those first days of classes, I do often have a lot of professors that skip over, you know, their, their diversity statement, their disability statement. Um, you know, where are, are the various offices that you can go to report sexual misconduct or Title IX violations? And I think that's uh, just, it, it's crucially important that we don't skip over those sections on the syllabus, that you take the time uh, to make sure all of your students understand why those statements are in there in the first place. Because for a lot of students, particularly freshman students, uh, it might be their first time being exposed to anything like that. I can tell you that I grew up in a very rural part of Indiana uh, where everyone looked the same, act the same, dressed the same, uh, mostly white students. I think we had one black student in our entire school. Uh, I was scared to talk about my sexuality because there were no gay students uh, ever, and I probably would have been harassed had I done so at the time. Uh, but for a lot of you know first-year freshmen, they're coming from communities like that. They've never experienced things of that nature, and they have a mindset, and it's all environmental. 
they have a mindset that they grew up in and that's hard to break. Uh, but it's important that we tear down those barriers and we have those conversations and we encourage them to form relationships with their peers in their class so that way they can experience all sorts of different ethnicities, cultures, religions, uh, people of different sexual orientations. It's crucially important that you as a professor uh, or as a faculty member make that first step, that initial step and say, hey, let's have this conversation. Let's not just pass over it. Let's not just talk about, you know, when the tests are going to be. Let's talk about why we have a diversity statement. Let's talk about why we have a diversity office. Let's talk about why there's uh, mental counseling services on campus or, or why there are areas where we can go to uh, report gender harassment or discrimination because those are important conversations to have and they shouldn't be looked over. I don't have much to uh, uh, to add. I think my peers over here they <laughs> said very important things. Um, I would just like to remind you that it's about creating that personal connection with your, with your student. Um, a person will open to y'all just to if, if you guys create that personal connection if you guys sometimes sometimes i feel scared of talking um i i'm, I'm sometimes i'm scared of talking to like to my professors about like personal problems right but if those bar barriers are not there if that personal connection is just created since the first day that makes a huge difference that makes a huge difference, and I know that people, like students, are going to have better grades if that personal connection is created since the first day. Well, Mark, um, I hope, I know you're impressed by the decision that they're making on their examination, and you all of them, not by the team, so, um, but I think we have time for a couple of questions for you. Can help if you just genuinely try, yeah. but to kind of ignore it or get it wrong on 
purpose. Um, that's the difference, and I think that that's kind of something that we're willing to work through as students. Um, if you say something wrong, that's where we come in to educate. You know, if you need help, reach out to us. That's where we come in to educate. But in terms of not knowing how to navigate, most people don't know how to navigate, so they don't navigate at all. And that's the problem. You have to make, take a step, do something. And if it's, you mess up, it's like math. You mess up, you erase, try again. So I think that's something that in terms of just my perspective is I have more respect for someone that tries. And then if they do something wrong or they take the wrong step, they acknowledge it and they say, okay, what can I do now? Versus them kind of sitting back and be like, well, I don't know what to do. So I don't want to make mistakes. But then you don't do anything, and now we're in this revolving circle of no one doing anything. I think my my advice to that would literally be, and I, and I talked about it kind of, looking at this power relationship that you establish as teacher-student. It should be student-student. And the reason I say that is, is because when you set it up that way, as you are the person who is the chief person of the education here, people are going to believe that you don't get it wrong. But being able to say that you're a student in this space, too, it, it allows you to then say, hey, I don't know. Because I have not heard my professor say, I don't know in a while. And it's okay to say that because it's human. And I think that's where you go more into this conversation of putting those things first, flipping your um, syllabus and talking about these things. And that's what's going to get you closer to at least trying if students see you. I'm willing to help you if I see that you're meeting me halfway. But if you don't meet me halfway, I'm not going to be the one that's going to tell you, well, this is what you should do. This is what, no, that's not how it's going to work in that way, shape, or form. So literally, I would say deconstruct the way power works in your classroom and create an inclusive environment to where you can genuinely learn from students and students can in turn learn from you. I would, I would argue, Ty, that that's really more reality-based <laughs> yep. than anything else. Like, that is the fact, is we are all students in mm -hmm. the painting world. Like, that's... It shouldn't cause us any more shame yep. than anybody else to say, yeah, things are changing all around me. Things are different now from when I graduated from college or from high school and, and had that experience. And I am a learner, mm -hmm. right? And hopefully now, how fortunate we are to be in this space across generations, across mm -hmm. all kinds of different um, spans of difference, that we can all learn from each other. Because where do you get that? Yep. Right? You don't get that out there, right, in the, in the regular world. You get that here in the academy, mm -hmm. right? And so let's take it from yeah, so what Ari said, as long as you're trying and as long as you're putting in some type of an effort, like it means so much. Like I love that Canvas just added pronouns. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I, I use that as a little tool to know how inclusive my professor is or to know like, oh, this professor has pronouns with them. I feel really comfortable around them. Uh -huh. And to know that they can come and they can say something and if it's incorrect, I would feel comfortable to correct them. And, and it's just the smallest of things. But as long as if you're making an effort and you're trying and you're being educated and uh, an easy sorry if you mess up, that's yeah. all it is. It's the easiest thing you can do is just say, I'm sorry I messed up. Let's continue. Teach me. Show me what I should do. Manny. I'm Garrett.
I would say to to that point that mentioning stories of that caliber is almost a double-edged sword in some instances because I don't want to consistently come to this space and put my trauma on display for you to understand the point of what's going on. It's enough to know that these instances are happening. The awareness is what I'm always telling people. That should be the movement and enough to move for you to just ask these simple questions because the solutions are more human than anything. And it's not a complex one that you really have to study in some regards. It's just simply just be compassionate. And that's how you really get there. But for someone who literally I spent the entire 2020 of telling people about my experience and people were shocked by it. But that's not all my experience should be. And that's not the way I should get you to make that substantive move. Because trauma is not the way for us to really illustrate that there's a necessity for change in the system, if that makes sense. Yeah. Trust us. That should be all <laughs> that should be all we need to say is that things are happening. And now let's talk about the issues. Right? Yeah. I think you wanted to make some closing remarks. Yeah, I agree with Todd. Um, I think for me, just to kind of give you an example, um, is mental health is something I'm extremely passionate about, seeing that I have my own struggles. Um, just being aware of like how your students are doing. For me personally, I have extreme like anxiety and seasonal depression. Partial of the reason why I'm really exhausted from it. The weather is changing, and I'm just like, stay in bed. <laughs> Don't get up. And I think that um, for maybe professors or people just in general who don't struggle with maybe mental health or like can see it, but mental health looks different on everyone. And for me, I get very like lay in bed all day, and sometimes I'm like, I have to email my professor. Like I cannot get up. Like I can't do it. And they're like. Everyone else made it to class today. <laughs> I'm like, you're not understanding. Like, it's not a, it's like a mental thing, not a physical thing to drag myself up. And so that in terms of like just an example of like, these are the things that are going on. It affects different communities differently. At IU, I would say that we could have better resources for minorities in mental health services. So, and that's just me. Sorry, yeah, I just want to weigh in on the, the point that he made um, and, and that kind of Kai spoke to. I think probably the reason why you don't hear a lot of take this off, reason why you don't hear a lot of these stories is because I feel like a lot of those students that this happens to are really uncomfortable with speaking out about it. And I can tell you the reason why the only reason why I share that story is because I am situated in a position of privilege where I have the ability to be able to talk about those problems and kind of relay to action makers. This was a failure on the part of my institution uh, not adequately addressing this issue enough. Um, I can tell you my friend would not be comfortable coming up in front of a board of people and sharing that story. And I, I would never, you know, say that person's name or uh, even, you know, give details as to who they are because I don't want to share a story that, uh, uh, or give details about a story and, and that person without um, their permission or something that they might not feel comfortable about. So it's not so much that I'm trying to relay or, um, you know, spread the story. I just want to highlight the fact that there are issues that can be addressed in our institution. And there are students who are not going to be comfortable doing that. And I think it's important that we all recognize that as well. Yeah, examples are really powerful. And like when I had spoke about, you know, the racial issue that happened, I didn't go into detail for a reason. I was already getting really choked up. I'm getting choked up again just thinking about it. And that's, it's a traumatic experience for myself. And that's a lot of what happens with other students is that during those times, you know, it's, it's hard to talk about, but it's happening. And I mean, I think you can tell by the way my voice is shaking and I'm getting a little teary eyed is that, you know, these things are happening and you got to trust us and that, yeah. It's out there. It's in here. It's in here.
see you talking. Mm -hmm. you, you are busy, busy people here on a Friday afternoon. Please help me thank you. Disappear over time, that we don't pass them on. It's time for us to not pass them.